everybody. Welcome to Profoundly Pointless. My name is Nick. Coming up in this episode, we're going to go on a psychedelic journey and explore what's socially acceptable. By increasing serotonin, it's actually connecting parts of your brain that might not be talking to each other. Or um, in some cases, again, it's based on the dosage, how much of your brain becomes interconnected or becomes disinhibited. But really, you're sparking creativity. You are tapping into memories. You are uh, thinking about things you've seen in a completely different light. Some of these psychedelic drugs actually work on the immune system. And there's some people with autoimmune systems disorders have actually benefited from taking psychedelics. Um, for example, I think one of the most interesting things is the interplay between your drug history and um, the current drug you're on. To be absorbed and to really activate your brain in the right way, you really have to detox your body of all the things that are blocking it. So your opioids, your, your crappy medications, like all the things that are in our body that are not supposed to be in it, you need them to get out of there. I want to thank you guys so much for joining us. If you get a chance, like download, subscribe, share. We really appreciate it. It really helps us out. Something that I'm fascinated by is how we as a society decide what's acceptable and what's not. Look at drugs. Alcohol. Totally fine for the most part. We have commercials on TV. Marijuana up until a couple of years ago, not okay at all. I think that when you look at drugs though, that is really changing when it comes to psychedelics. Our first guest is an expert in exactly what psychedelics do, what they can be used for, and what we might be looking at in terms of their acceptability as we move into the future. This is Dr. Michelle Ross. What exactly is a psychedelic? Like, What, what are we talking about? So psychedelics actually refer to a group of drugs that activate your serotonin system. So these drugs can include anything from cannabis uh, to ayahuasca, DMT, magic mushrooms or psilocybin mushrooms, um, MDMA, what we refer to as molly or ecstasy. Um, there's a whole bunch of drugs that basically um, cause elevated states of consciousness and in some cases even cause hallucinations. And so a lot of times people think about psychedelics, um, you know, as recreational drugs, but they actually have a lot of medicinal purposes. So sort of interesting, there's psychedelic medicine, which is really uh, the field of work that I work in. Two questions kind of in that regard. When they're doing, like, what are they doing to the brain? Exactly. Like, mm -hmm. how are they producing this effect? Well, I mean, each of these drugs um, are made from usually a different uh, plant or synthetic compound. So each of them are, are slightly different, and they have wildly different uh, effects on the brain. And one of the drugs, actually, I forgot to talk about um, in the psychedelic category is LSD or, or, you know, finally talked of as acid, right? So each of these drugs really... Um, you know, works on different neurons in the brain, activates different pathways. Um, some are more hallucinogenic than others. Some are short acting. Um, so it, it's really interesting. I could really talk about this broad class of um, drugs probably for like three hours straight. But um, again, it's by increasing serotonin, it's actually connecting parts of your brain that might not be talking to each other. Or um, 
in some cases, again, it's based on the dosage, how much of your brain becomes interconnected or becomes disinhibited, but really you're sparking creativity. You are tapping into memories. You are uh, thinking about things you've seen in a completely different light or in cases where you're taking a very, very high dose of these psychedelic drugs, you're actually seeing things that aren't there at all. Um, some people think that, you know, they're going on you know, vision quests. Some people think that, you know, they're going to do like intergalactic travel. There's all sorts of different ranges of these psychedelic experiences. And it's just fascinating um, from the point of a neuroscientist as well as um, somebody who uses psychedelic drugs. So it's, it's kind of a chemical slash rewiring effect, essentially. Um, there's a little bit of rewiring. Of course, um, I think with this, again, this broad range of drugs, some of them are actually rewiring your brain and some of them are just temporarily activating um, parts of your brain, um, sort of like over activating them and then it goes back to normal. So it's not like in all cases, when you take these drugs, your brain is forever changed. Um, for example, when you take cannabis, you can get very slight psychedelic effects where you might see colors or hear things or something like that at very high doses. But again, it's not changing your brain um, in any way for the long term. So um, there are cases where people have taken uh, psychedelic drugs, especially in clinical se uh, sessions. For example, people have taken MDMA or LSD or psilocybin in clinical settings like a psychotherapist's office, and there's been clinical research with this. Um, an organization called MAPS has really um, been one of the leaders in this research, but there are times where people have taken psychedelics um, intentionally with a healthcare professional present over one or two sessions and actually been able to well, change their viewpoint on some things in their life, whether it's trauma whether it's coming to terms with a terminal illness um, uh, diagnosis, knowing that they're going to die, um, getting over the trauma of, say, um, being a veteran and have gone to war. Um, these psychedelics can really have profound experiences um, that do uh, have some impact on our brain. So it's all about the intention, um, the setting that you're taking in these drugs in, um, and the length of time and who you're working with them. There's like so many aspects of this. It's so interesting because it's just like you could have people take these drugs, very recreational setting. Um, you know, you hear about some people taking, say, Molly, for example, at a, at a concert or going dancing or things like that. They're not going to rewire their brain. And, and in the case of, you know, being uh, more spiritually open or getting over trauma in that case, it's really these very intentional settings with skilled practitioners that allow your brain to be rewired. So it's almost like you need the psychedelic plus therapy to have these kind of experiences. When you talk about researching the, the potential medical benefits of it, are we talking about in terms of curing diseases, so to speak, or are we talking more about mental health? <laughs> well, it's interesting. I think the mind and body are very linked when you know, your body doesn't feel good. It's often because there are things that are happening in your brain, whether it's, you know, being hyperreactive to stress or not, you know, being able to get over some of the traumas that might have happened in your childhood. I think that a stressed out brain is an unhealthy body and an unhealthy body can, you know, of course, cause stress and other issues. Um, we know that our gut, for example, is our second brain. And so really the mind and body are linked. So I don't think that there's any disease where if you work on the brain, or you work on the body, vice versa, you don't have a very connected effect. Now, in terms of um, 
these psychedelics having only effects on mental health. I don't think that's true. Um, we're actually finding that some of these psychedelic drugs, because we have these receptors for, you know, oh, the cannabinoid system or for the serotonin system throughout our entire body, uh, that there's these effects that are just more than, than mental health. In fact, there's actual evidence that some of these psychedelic drugs actually work on the immune system. And there's some people with autoimmune si disorders that have actually benefited from taking psychedelics. Um, we see this with cannabis. We're starting to see this with psilocybin mushrooms. Um, there's been some cases of ayahuasca, which is this very interesting drink uh, made from uh, bark of a tree that was used to be taking it during like ceremonies and things like that. But there's actual people that have found that they've had motor disorders cured by something that was supposed to be, uh, you know, sort of this ceremony and spiritual journey of like getting over trauma. And instead they come out and they actually have different disorders cured during this time. So some of these drugs based on the fact that they are hyperactivating serotonin um, systems, you do actually see some healing um, and, profound ways that we didn't, we just didn't understand. And there wasn't a lot of research before on some of these things. So basically when you have a class of drugs that is federally illegal in the United States, and I mean, ayahuasca is, psilocybin mushrooms is, cannabis, even though medical and recreational marijuana is found throughout the United States, is still federally illegal. And so all of these very, very interesting and very, very promising um psychedelic drugs are still illegal and very hard for us to research. And we're only just learning now about their potential benefits. And it's, it's just sort of mind blowing to think that here we are thinking, okay, this might actually be useful for an autoimmune disorder or a mental health disorder. And yet it's federally illegal. So it's, it's a very weird position to be. And basically being a scientist that, that studies federally illegal drugs for their health benefits. How do you even do that? I mean, you, <laughs> Do you like uh, buy some from a dealer in a back alley or like, how do you do this? <laughs> well, you know, it's been quite the journey. Um, I actually started um, studying cannabis um, as, as basically a drug of abuse. So when I was doing my PhD in the University of Texas, Southwestern Medical Center in Dallas, Texas, you know, of course, Texas is one of the states where cannabis is still illegal and there's very few of those states today, but um, I was basically tasked with figuring out, you know, how does cannabis affect certain cells in the brain? And of course, we're supposed to see, okay, it kills newborn brain cells. And the research coming out was suggesting that cannabis is, can actually be helpful for the brain. And this was, you know, maybe like 14 years ago. <laughs> this is a long time ago. Um, and, you know, I was, an, I was basically funded by agencies like NIDA to say drugs are bad. And I thought drugs were bad. You know, I didn't use any drugs. I was very straight edge uh, kid growing up, you know, like top of my class. And I want to be a scientist and help all the drug users out there. And um, what happened was over the years, I kept finding out that drugs weren't just bad, that there, it wasn't so black and white. Yes, there are some people that get addicted to certain types of drugs. But then it seemed like these serotonin activating drugs, these psychedelic drugs, actually had interesting benefits for the brain, like increasing the number of brain cells and areas for memory and learning or boosting mood or relieving anxiety. And over time, I started to teach myself about some of these things. But in terms of trying to do studies and things like that, it was very difficult. I actually founded a nonprofit years ago um, and we helped 
advocate for patients, raise money for research. We try to do a lot of different studies, taking information um, about how people were using cannabis in the very new legal markets like the recreational cannabis market in Colorado. Uh, in terms of trying to study things like MDMA or psilocybin, again, things are much easier to study when they're legal. And I really got involved in uh doing policy, which is so weird. As a scientist, you're not really supposed to get involved in the, like the government. Like we're not supposed to be activists or protesters or, you know, going, uh, and trying to lobby for the ability to do research. It's sort of not really in our nature, but I ended up getting involved in trying to change some of the drug policy in this country. I was part of the team that helped decriminalize, uh, psilocybin mushrooms in Denver, Colorado, which was the first city in the United States to do that and sort of spike this, spark this, I would say, psychedelic decriminalization movement. Um, but when drugs are legal, people are not scared to report their use. And that's really important because if you try to survey somebody about an illegal substance, right, if you send out a survey and you say, okay, how many times do you use cocaine? People will say, who's getting this survey? I'm not going to say, you know, did I take drugs or not? Will my doctor know? You know, will my boss know about this? People are very private about their drug use. But when drugs are legal, like cannabis now is in most states, people are more likely to report their use because they don't think that there's going to be um, criminal repercussions to that. And so as a scientist, it's much easier to do our work when uh, things are decriminalized and we go from a standpoint of, talking about your drug use does not involve police, right? And so I think my ability to do my work has changed maybe over the last 10 years, and it's it's going to be evolving as I think the United States perspective on drugs um, changes. And it, it's been a, quite a rapid process. I really didn't think that we would go from cannabis legalization to mushroom legalization to legalization almost of like all the psychedelics and potentially even like mushroom dispensaries happening maybe in the next five years. Is there anything that's fundamentally different about these kind of drugs than say other more, I'll use the word accepted kinds of drugs like alcohol or Tylenol or stuff that people deal with on a more daily basis? Um, you know, it's, it's interesting. I think that that psychedelic drugs, um, again, there's there's a lot of drugs in this class, but I, I want to go back to um, not the synthetic drugs like MDMA. Um, I want to go back to these botanical psychedelics like mushrooms. And mush actually, magic mushrooms is one of my favorite um, psychedelics. Um, I actually prefer it more to cannabis, but they are really, really safe. It's actually impossible to really overdose on psilocybin mushrooms, very similar to cannabis, right? We know that Basically, you would have to smoke probably the was the equivalent of an entire like room full of cannabis in 15 minutes to be able to die from it. There's no one that's actually died from uh, the plant itself, which is very, very strange for any type of drug or substance. If you drink too much water, you can die. If you drink too much milk, you can die. Um, you know, obviously with alcohol, people die from it all the time. And yet here we have several plant substances that not only seem to not be able to kill anyone or really provide much of an overdose besides of the fact that you might be freaking out because you might be hallucinating a little bit by taking way too much of these drugs. You know, no one dies from hallucination. They die from maybe the things that they do while they hallucinate. You know, that's a whole nother story. But I think that there's an inherent safety to these drugs and, and it's definitely 
something to think about as somebody who's helped develop different psychiatric medications and worked with patients that have been on these medications is that synthetic drugs that humans have developed have caused a lot of problems. They have a lot of side effects that are not good for people, yet these plant substances have existed in nature this whole time and have so many different uses for them. And it's interesting that you know we can take even minute doses of these drugs to be able to replace things like Xanax or Prozac or even maybe caffeine. Each of these substances in the specific dose could match one of our brain chemistries in order to provide, you know, whatever it is that we need, whether it's fighting fatigue, whether it's, you know, helping our ADHD, whether it's, um, you know, helping us with our anxiety. I think that there's a plan out there for each of us and that we should really move from, abusing things like alcohol to feel better or relieve our anxiety and really look for more of these plant-based healthier methods. And I think that over time we'll realize, just like people realize with cannabis, that maybe, you know, alcohol might not be the best thing to be using every single day. And, you know, it's okay to start, you know, building a relationship, cultivating that relationship with of psychedelics like cannabis or mushrooms. What what would you say to somebody, and I'll use myself as an, as an example on something like this, that is thinks of themselves as being pretty open-minded. Like, I think I'm pretty <laughs> open-minded about things. I use marijuana recreationally. But when you talk about fully legalizing some of the psychedelics, even somebody like myself is kind of like, ooh, I don't know about that. You know, I think that there's still a lot of people that are um, concerned about legalizing all the psychedelics. And um, even myself, as somebody who studied drug addiction and who is a psychedelic user, you know, has debated this back and forth. You know, there's even a division of, you know, what are the safe psychedelics? Um, there's some people that think that only mushrooms are the, the safest psychedelics and we should only legalize those and maybe we should ha- sell those at dispensaries with cannabis. And then the rest of them, the ones that people have been able to overdose on. And for example, um, MDMA or ecstasy pills, definitely people have died from, um, from overheating and other issues, um, that those ones aren't safe and they shouldn't be legalized. I think there's a whole bunch of people out there that do think that all drugs should be legalized because really the punitive system for drug legal, drugs being legal is, is really not helping people. Um, it's not helping drive people to rehabilitation when they need substance abuse treatment. It's not helping, you know, anyone. But, you know, there is this fear of the lack of education of the general public, right? Right now what we're seeing is a psychedelic renaissance and everyone's talking about magic mushrooms, but a lot of people you know, aren't that educated on them. And so there is some concern that some people might take mushrooms that might not be appropriate, say, for them or take another psychedelic. Um, And some people that should definitely, um, you know, uh, think twice or maybe consult their doctor or somebody else, like some qualified practitioner, whether that's somebody that knows about psychedelic medicine and there are actually practitioners now that you can find um, or psychedelic coaches like myself, but you should really... Think twice about it if you do have a mental health disorder. For example, if you have schizophrenia, if you have bipolar, if you have serious um, anxiety issues, you should probably talk to somebody before taking, um, you know, what would be considered a, a large dose of psychedelics because you might be the person that ends up, you know, experiencing psychosis or experiencing what we call, you know, the bad trip or feeling severe anxiety. And instead of finding healing through these substances, instead of re-triggering your trauma. And 
there are some people that take psychedelics and when they come back to, you know, back to earth, uh, they, they, they're no longer hallucinating and they're, but what they saw during that trip really profoundly bothers them and they can't go back to, um, you know, normal life. They have some issues. So there are, psychedelics are not for everyone. Just remember that just because something might be decriminalized or, you know, you might be able to fly somewhere to a cool retreat and do them doesn't mean that they might be right for you or they might be safe. Now, saying that, it's safe for a lot of people, but just, you know, be educated and be open to asking the questions. And if you find a provider or a practitioner that wants to work with you but isn't, you know, schooled on the fact that it's not right for everyone, they might not be the right person to work with. How can you kind of, I mean, is there a test necessarily that somebody could do, or is it just basically kind of a feel it out process in terms of like, this might be right for me. This is not mm-hmm. right for me. How do you determine that? It's about really looking at a medical history. Um, I think anyone with heart issues really should talk to somebody before taking cannabis or any type of psychedelics. Um, you know, there's, that's, Really, any of the type of unfortunate experiences we've seen um, when people use these drugs recreationally has been because they didn't think about the potential for issues. Um, most people know that they have a heart problem. Most people aren't like they took a psychedelic and that's how they learned they had a heart problem. Think about, um, you know, before starting any supplement, you know, they, they suggest you talk to your doctor, like literally they the vitamins tell you, go talk to your doctor before you take vitamin C or something like that. It seems so silly, but like people have no problem trying recreational or even what they consider psychedelic medicine, right? Just talk to somebody about it and, you know, and you will definitely have a much better experience when you're empowered by education. So, so there are coaches everywhere that, you know, they can talk through telehealth or phones, you know, in different cities, especially the ones that decriminalize like Oakland and Santa Cruz and Denver. Um, there are definitely practitioners that can have these open and honest conversations. In terms of what we know about the potential medical benefits, the way that these work on our brain, let's say on a scale of one to 10, one, we don't even know what they are yet. 10, we've got this all figured out. Where do you think that we are right now? I would have to say that we're probably on a three out of 10 scale. There's actually been clinical research on psychedelics for healing. And we're talking about, again, everything from mushrooms to cannabis to MDMA to, um, you know, different forms of DMT. Um, some of these uh, substances have actually been more studied than aspirin, which is, is sort of funny. Um, but in terms of, you know, figuring out their entire potential, I think that, that we have a lot more to go. I think that would be fascinating to see, for example, if we could have it like a 23andMe test and be able to figure out which psychedelic drug would be best for you. Like, I think that there's a lot that we're going to be figuring out maybe in the next five years. Um, for example, in Toronto, there's actually a lot of um, AI companies, artificial intelligence companies that are coming out to look at the data that's uh, people are self-reporting their psychedelic use, um, both microdosing and macrodosing. Um, you know, looking at everything from how their spirituality changed to how um, you know their mental health changed to everything from you know, okay, um, what's your pain levels like today? You know, can affect chronic pain uh, perception. So I think that we're going to start learning a lot more in a very short time. Um, you know, there's some people that will tell you, you know, okay, because we don't know enough, maybe wait five years for that information to come out. You know, um, I think that if you're concerned and you want more research, that's fine. Um, I think that there is 
enough out there to say it's slightly safer probably than some of the antidepressants out there that do actually, they can cause suicidal thoughts and even suicide. So I think that no drug is 100% safe for everyone. Um, but I think that psychedelic medicine, when done right, under the care or at least guidance of somebody who is proficient in this field, um, can be a safe and exciting um, experience. What what causes the hallucination when somebody is getting it? I mean, again, it's really the activation of those serotonin receptors um, thing, too, because two people will take the same dose of a psychedelic and like one will get much more intense visual hallucinations or, or audio hallucinations. And again, it's all about set and setting and your brain chemistry. For example, I think one of the most interesting things is the interplay between your drug history and um, the current drug you're on. There's a drug called DMT, which is a psychedelic. And if you have previous opioid use, it can actually block your ability to have visual hallucinations on it. And so there's really this need for people to live this clean, balanced, I think, plant-based life before they go on these psychedelic journeys. And even and when you prepare for an ayahuasca ceremony, which is, a, you know, a very intense, like, eight-hour trip, um, they suggest that you eat, you know, oh, plant-based foods, that you sort of detox from your um, daily sad American diet, you know, with full of inflammatory, you know, and nasty and hard-to-digest foods and really go clean because these medicines are very much indigenous medicines, and they weren't for people that were in this you know, our Western society. And so really to find the most profound um, spiritual changes and to really get these drugs to be absorbed and to really activate your brain in the right way, you really have to detox your body of all the things that are blocking it. So your opioids, your, your crappy medications, like all the things that are in our body that are not supposed to be in it, you need them to get out of there so that these plant-based medicines can really do their job. Do, you, do we know why that is or is it just something that kind of happens? I mean, um, you know, our brain is very much interconnected. And and one thing and what we're just starting to learn about is that we have these neurotransmitters. We have dopamine. We have serotonin, GABA, glutamate, opioids. Like, we have all these different receptors. And people used to think that just when you activate an opioid receptor with an opioid, that just works alone. Or dopamine, you know, a drug that uh, increases dopamine, that works alone. But we actually know that now the receptors, they actually talk to each other and some of them have like interactions. It's like they, our brain is so much more complex than we ever could have imagined. Um, basically, the more we learn about the brain, the more questions we have about it. But we find that the opioid receptors can interact with dopamine receptors, with uh, endocannabinoid, you know, cannabinoid receptors. And so there seems to be some kind of interaction there. And, you know, unfortunately, I'm not an expert in every single type of psychedelic drug. So the opioid and DMT interaction, um, I'm not exactly sure whether we even know the pathway of why that that happens, but it does happen. And so, you know, it, it's, again, it's, some of these things are a mystery, but we do know anecdotally that there are enough patients out there that have um, consumed these drugs. And if you look, you know, it's sort of interesting because there's been this like black market of psychedelic, um, you know, like forums, for example, um, 
there are lots of forums online where people say, well, I'm on antidepressants, but I took, uh, you know, ecstasy or I, I used mushrooms and this is what happened. I had a bad experience, a good experience. And you can go through the AI and be able to figure out, okay, when people are on certain drugs, they have a, this bad experience or they have an enhanced experience. And one of the things that's fascinating to me is, um, everyone's taking a CBD oil or hemp oil uh, right now. And CBD can actually inhibit the breakdown of some of these psychedelic drugs. And so if you are taking CBD oil every day and then you decide to take a psychedelic, how does that influence your experience? Are you having a more muted experience because uh, your psychedelic drug is not at the highest levels and it's it's basically being broken down for a longer amount of time in your body. So it never peaks, but it's there for a longer time. You know, there's a lot of drug interactions that can happen. People don't think about the recreational drugs as having potential side effects with the other medications we're on, but people are, are on a lot of medications. Are you ready for the harder slash listed listener submitted questions? Oh, I'm ready. <laughs> what is your favorite psychedelic to take? I really do love magic mushrooms. Um, I think that there's a lot more control there. But for me, um, I feel like it really helps me uh, release oxytocin in my brain and really feel loved and be able to connect with other people. Um, and as a scientist, you know, it's like my personality has always been sort of like cold and very logical. And mushrooms help me really feel like a warmer person who's part of society and less of like more like on that like the autistic spectrum it's sort of funny it's like literally mushrooms help me feel connected to society and I find that a lot of people that are um, on the spectrum very much uh, benefit from mushrooms so for me I like to take them in microdoses. I like to take them in macrodoses. I like to listen to you know uh, concerts with mushrooms so for me uh, mushrooms are, are part of my daily life you know, that that leads me to this kind of question of, are they changing who we are or are they just revealing who we are? I think that psychedelics don't change who we are um, as a person. I think that they help us step into our best version of ourselves. And I think that we can't be the best version of ourselves if we don't love ourselves, if we don't forgive ourselves, and if we don't connect to other people. I think that psychedelics really help us realize that we are all part of one amazing, beautiful universe and that we are beautiful beings in that beautiful universe. And so that realization can help you change into the person you are, but you were that person before you took psychedelics. You just didn't know it. And I think that really is the, the profound beauty of them. Best movie and or music to listen to while on them. Oh my goodness. <laughs> That, that's a that's a loaded one right there. I mean, for me, I um, I started exploring psychedelics um, and listening to a lot of Polish ambassador EDM type of music out there. So that's sort of been my thing. But I've I've listened to almost all types of music under psychedelics. So I can't say it's like it makes it more beautiful when you use them. So I can't say that there's like one type of music I love more than the other. On that, I think anything that's positive. You don't really want to go listen to angry music on, on psychedelics. I did a little bit of research. I don't know if this is something that you want to talk about necessarily or not, but you have fibromyalgia. Has it helped you with this? Um, so fibromyalgia was one of the things that mm -hmm. I really didn't expect uh, magic mushrooms to be helpful with, but 
it turns out that fibromyalgia, which is this chronic pain um, disorder where you have, um, you know, shooting pains, burning pains, muscle spasms, you basically at like a level 10 um, amount of pain each day. And there's really no medications out there that are very helpful for it besides cannabis and now really mushrooms. And this is actually one of the things that I teach other fibromyalgia patients. I educate them on how to use cannabis, kratom, and um, and magic mushrooms to deal with their pain and their symptoms. And because fibromyalgia, one of the symptoms is that you have serotonin deficiency. And serotonin is a neurotransmitter, of course, that is important for so many things like sleep, like focus, like eating, sex, all the fun things out there. Um, But it also has a role in pain. If you can restore that serotonin levels and you can also restore some of these chemical imbalances, you might be able to help with some of the symptoms. And magic mushrooms, of course, uh, increases serotonin activity throughout the brain and body from everywhere from your brain, your gut, and is very helpful. And so one of the things I teach people about um, is using microdoses of mushrooms to actually help with mood and pain. Um, It's helped me a lot um, because cannabis, of course, is very effective for activating the cannabinoid system, but you have all these different systems that are out of whack. And the reason why I also talk about Kratom, although Kratom is not a psychedelic, it works on the opioid system. So I think for complex diseases like fibromyalgia, there's not one plan out there that has everything that you need. Um, And if you really want to look at it, you know, the botanical pharmacy, I use uh, a plant cannabis that activates cannabinoid system. I use magic mushrooms, which activates your serotonin system. And then I use Kratom, which activates your opioid system. So for me, I need three different plants to really help um, holistically heal me. Whereas, you know, I don't need to use any of these pharmaceutical drugs. And many people with my condition take up to 10 different drugs for all their symptoms. I think, you know, the only last question that I would necessarily have from a scientific and from a medical standpoint, is this locked down kind of science or is this something that okay five years from now we're going to find out none of this was none of this was what we thought it was i think that psychedelics have been in use for a long time um i think again just because something wasn't researched didn't mean it wasn't true for all this time i think that really research in the united states has been very biased. It's really been focused on, can we make a pharmaceutical drug out of these things? And I think that botanical medicines have sort of been overlooked. But right now, the research is resounding that cannabis is very effective for some, uh, for conditions like mine. In fact, um, there was a survey out there that said 90% of fibromyalgia patients found that cannabis was effective. They haven't done a research study on mushrooms for fibromyalgia, but that's actually something that I'm... Um, reaching out to researchers to potentially work with, because I think it's important for us to start thinking about these complex um, conditions that are very influenced by our mental state. The more stressed you are out, you are, the more your chronic pain flares up. So I think that um, we were going to find more and more research that suggests that these things are effective. So I don't think that we're going to find in 10 years that this was a big mistake, that no one should have ever explored these natural plant substances. I'm going to, bet on very hard that um, we're probably going to leave some of these psychiatric medications and some of these opioid medications behind because they cause more harm than good. And we're going to find this return to botanical medicine and really harnessing all the different chemicals that are in these botanical medicines and really creating personalized medicines uh, for each patient's with the power of AI and all the other technologies that are going to be out there. So it's going to be 
ancient medicine meets modern technology. And we're going to use that to really create these personalized medicines. And I think that plant medicine is going to be, we're not going to have to call it plant medicine. Plant medicine is going to just be medicine. Um, that's pretty much all I got. Is there anything else that you think that we missed? Anything else that you'd like to add? Anything coming up for you? You know, no, I think that everything here was great. Um, I am actually coming out with a new book uh, in September, though. I just finished a book called CBD Oil for Health, and so that goes over all the different ways that you can use CBD oil. Um, but I'm going to be, you know, writing more books. I'm looking forward to potentially writing a mushroom book um, next year. So um, I've written over four books now, so you'll this definitely will be the last you've heard of me uh, talking about psychedelics. I'm, I'm out there. <laughs> I want to thank Dr. Ross so much for joining us. If you want to connect with her, we have linked to her social media accounts on our social media accounts. We're profoundly pointless on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And we also have more information about her on the RSS feed that's on this podcast. Okay. Now let's go ahead and give John Shaw a call. Hello. Do you feel like you waste your opportunities or take advantage of them? Just in general or for a specific moment or opportunity? That kind of sounds like you waste them and you're trying to figure out a way to say that you don't. I, I mean, I'd like to think I I make most of every, every opportunity, but let's be honest, what person actually does? I mean, I think really successful people probably either make the most out of most of their opportunities or just made the most out of one of them. I would like to think that I accomplish stuff when I have a chance. But the reality is I probably blow most of the opportunities I have. I don't know. Like, uh, I probably blow most of my opportunities. Yeah, I think most people probably blow most of the opportunities or don't even realize that it was an opportunity until it's afterward. So it's too late. Yeah, I think that's probably more it. Like, you don't realize till after the fact. Like, as you're laying on your deathbed, like, oh, maybe that was a decent opportunity and I shouldn't have gone out drinking and I'm doing coke and you know, missing that job interview. Yeah, I mean, I think of this because I recently had an opportunity just today when we're recording this in which ultimately I probably blew the opportunity. It didn't work out the way that I wanted it to. But when I got the news, the person put, hope you had a good weekend at the front of it, and it completely threw me off. Do you want to explain a little more or was, was that it? No, I mean, I just think if you're going to put bad news in something, why are you going to wish me a happy weekend first? <laughs> Yeah, that's pretty much garbage. It's like, oh, hey, uh, I really like you. However, don't ever talk to me again. Yeah, like, look, I think you're an attractive girl, but ultimately you're just not pretty enough for me. <laughs> I've been told that once or twice. Have you really been told you're an unattractive man? Well, not like those exact words, but remember uh, a little while ago, I, I told a story about that date where the, the, uh, the lady goes, hey, you don't look like what I thought you'd look like. <laughs> she said, I mean, I would think that you're you're average to a little bit above average. You're not a bad looking guy. Wow, that might be the nicest thing you've ever said to me. Can we just end this recording now? Well, I mean, let me just mention that you do tend to smell a little bit. But then after I say that, let's move on to your next segment. <laughs> are we are we just flying right into the segment? Today? Yeah, yeah. Let's end on a high note. First off, I don't think I smell, but it's – do people who smell know they smell? No. I would think they probably 
I would think that you have to know that you smell, right? Like you, you, you always know. You just don't want to do anything about it. I mean, I'd like to think people know, but I, I think we both know people, or I've run into people that smell and they don't do anything about it. And you're like, don't you know that you kind of smell? Wow. Why don't you be more insensitive of my disability and the fact that I don't have a sense of smell, you prick? <laughs> Listen, don't you turn this around on me, all right? You were actually, you said a nice compliment. Don't and look, you turn and look how you reward it. And you look how you reward it by making fun of my disability. <laughs> First off, I'm not entirely sure. Like, were you born without a certain gland or what? Why can't you smell anything? I don't know, dude. I'm not a fucking doctor. <laughs> you come from doctors. Where's Papa Vinzan? I need him on the line. Papa Vinzan. Papa Vinzan is retired and he doesn't give a shit. He's like, yeah, you can't smell. There's nothing you can do. Get over it. What does it matter? Why you can't? Just move on with your life. <laughs> Just think about it. all this time. Maybe there was something that you could have done to smell, and you've gone your entire life not being able to smell. You're like, well, like I said at the beginning, I generally waste my opportunities. So why wouldn't I just waste this one as well? Well, you don't, you don't waste as much as you think you do, my friend. Any other groups that you want to insult while we're before we go on? No, no. I <laughs> some reason uh, this podcast really, really just brings out my uh, inability to to you know get with uh, groups uh, of dis of disabilities. Ha. I suppose that is. Arguably the worst phrasing of a statement I have ever heard in my life. That made absolutely no fucking sense whatsoever. So let's just <laughs> let's just move on. <laughs> All right. Uh, are, are we on to the the, the shout out part of the of the show? Just waiting on you. All right. So uh, big thanks again to everyone who liked, subscribed, commented. Means a lot. Uh, we'll start with uh, Megan, Jeremy, Morty. Justin Paul Juan, Houston Tony Thurman Merman. That's pretty badass. <laughs> Good one. Uh, Craig Kinsey, uh, Camp Bali. Always wanted to go to Bali. Maybe they can be our new official unofficial sponsor. You don't, I guarantee you don't even know where Bali is. Uh, in, uh, I'm going to fuck it up. Get, a con- get even the hemisphere right. Let's just. Is it somewhere off of. Oh, I'm going to sound really uh, stupid here. Um too late for that 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 wasn't necessary <laughs> uh, uh, let's see is it near is it somewhere just say so you don't fucking know huh is it somewhere near indonesia are you looking were you buying time to look it up no i i'm sure i'm wrong but i i feel like it's somewhere near indonesia <laughs> well that's a racist statement Anyways, I I feel like I'm somewhere. At oh, least because right it sounds different. They must want be, to admit it. Just because it sounds different, so it must be in Indonesia. I don't know why everything I say you are turning into me being <laughs> some kind of racist or being rude to some kind of ethnic group or people with disabilities. Anyways, uh, wait a minute. What country? What country did you say? I said I, I believe it's near Indonesia. Oh, it is not. Oh well. I don't know where. No, it's nowhere near Indonesia. It is okay. basically near India, Pakistan, China, and Afghanistan. Also near Nepal and Bhutan. Underrated country, Bhutan. I don't know anything about <laughs> Bhutan. I think it's actually like not a great place to be. But let's move on before we offend more people. Go ahead. 
Yes, uh, a couple more. KT, thanks a lot. And then Wolf Party. Mm. I want to be a part of a Wolf Party, but regardless. Uh, thanks for chiming in. Appreciate it. Uh, let's just jump right in here. Um, do you look more forward to spring ahead or falling back? Oh, falling back, dude. Nobody likes to spring forward. That's generally a waste of everybody's time. Nobody wants to spring forward and find out that they get less sleep. Everybody likes to fall back. That's way better. See, I don't know. I kind of spring forward means like warmer temperatures, baseball, hot dogs, apple pie. I don't think it means no. anything to do with apple pie, and no one cares about baseball. Fair enough. Uh, would you, if you could be one of these people for a day? In current times, who would you be? Luke Skywalker or Han Solo? Oh, Luke Skywalker, man. Han Solo is overrated. Why would you not want to be Luke Skywalker? You got the Force. All Han Solo has is the Millennium Falcon or Falcon, whichever way you want to pronounce that. You got the Force. You can do whatever you want. Wow, flying you around. Are the... You are just offending people who can't speak properly. Wow. Well, look. All I'm saying is Han Solo is a waste of time. That's I don't even know. You're coming up with questions here that I don't even think they're legitimate questions. Like, who do you want to be? A rich millionaire or a poor broke guy on the street? I think you can make an argument. No, I, I you think can't. Luke's a little bitch. You haven't seen the expanded universe, Luke Skywalker. If you know about the expanded universe, oh, guy, Luke God. Skywalker, where he's basically one with the Force at different times, you don't fuck with Luke Skywalker. He's the most powerful Jedi, arguably most powerful Force user of all time. Well, no, keep going. This is great. You're really showing who you really are as a person. I'm. I like Star Wars. I'm not even a fan of Luke Skywalker, but I'll give him credit. He ain't no. Do you bitch. know who his dad was? Anakin Skywalker, dude. <laughs> got him. How did you get me? I was right. No, I got. I got you. It's actually Darth Vader. You realize that Anakin Skywalker and Darth Vader are the same person, right? Of course. What's it like to be wrong all the time? I wasn't wrong. <laughs> Darth Vader's not his father. Anakin Skywalker is his father. Listen, the, the they're the same person, but he was Anakin when he had Luke. To go into some Star Wars love fest, okay? So oh. I'm just going to end it. I love baseball. Tell me about somebody's first war off, percentage. First of all, I think I like hot dogs more. But hey, Mark Hamill, if you ever listen, we'd love to have you on, all right? We're not worthy of Mark Hamill. If Mark Hamill invited me and Mark Hamill messaged me like a DM message and said, I want to come on your show, I would say, I'm sorry. It would be a waste of your time, good sir. <laughs> yeah, right. He needs all he can get. He's a nobody. You don't know what you're talking about. Let's just move on before you start offending even more people. He's one of the greatest voice. He's one of the greatest voice actors of the last 20 years. He's a fantastic voice actor. You're probably right. I mean, I, I don't watch a lot of things that require voice acting, so I wouldn't know. Okay. I watch, uh, you know, movies, cinematic arts. Porn. <laughs> Let's, uh, well, you know, we both have two kids. I think everyone out there with multiple children can agree with us. You don't Anyways. have two kids. You have one kid and one on the way. <sighs> Listen, you've been there. I think our listeners, most of them have been there. When your wife's 34 months pregnant, you feel like you have eight kids. Uh, that's true. Why Way to insult your own wife. Can you move on? <laughs> <laughs> yes. God dang it. Um, you have to get stuck in one of these, a rainstorm or a snowstorm. Yeah, dude, a, snow, a rainstorm. Snowstorm, you could be stuck there for days. Do you know what the difference between rain and snow is? Like, how is that a question? I would 
would rather get stuck in a snowstorm. Would you rather have a nice birthday party or be set on fire? Nope. <laughs> if, if you're at it, set on fire for sure. Why would you rather get stuck in a snowstorm? You're stuck there. It's going to be days. The rainstorm ends. It's just over with. The rain moves on. Not a big deal. You get a little wet. Nah, I still think I, I think I, I had this debate. I think I'd rather have snow over rain in any amount, anytime. Who are you debating with? Doesn't people who are obviously smarter than me that agree with you? Okay, all right. Um, wow, did we move through that all that quickly? Okay. Um, I'm kind of excited about this. I want to see what you what you picked. I think this is an interesting topic in terms of things that are technically possibly illegal, but also completely socially acceptable. So our top five is top five socially acceptable drugs, whether they're legal or illegal. It's just okay to do them. What's your number five? I have pot, the that's, marijuana. That's number five? The hell, I, what? I think my list is damn good. I don't, are you going to come with like Tylenol and some weak ass crap like that? I, uh, maybe. Yes. Like, uh, I'm going to get, maybe. I'm getting angry. I'm getting angry. That's fine. What's your number five there? Sugar. Sugar. Sugar's one. Like, come on, dude. That's not a drug. Don't get me with Tylenol. Bring that weak stuff in here and expect not to get made fun of. I, first of all, I didn't say Tylenol was on there. Continue, and I'll explain. I can't wait to hear what your top five are. Hold on. I got so angry, I flipped off my page that I had. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> I knew you were going to give me shit, but it's fine, because I think my list is actually Wrong. amazing. Okay. All right. Well, I mean, it better be going up pretty fast from here. Uh Oh, my number five is Molly and or Ecstasy. All right. See, I, I don't, I don't have, I don't really have any hard drugs on my list. So, okay. So that's boring. Um, what's your number four then? I have nicotine slash tobacco. Yeah, I don't know. I would actually make an argument that that's not really very socially acceptable. I think people look at smokers a certain way. I mean, but you pay more for health insurance, right? Like they're coming in with companies that are. Basically saying, hey, you shouldn't be doing this. I don't think that nicotine is socially acceptable. I understand what you're saying. I, I also think it depends where you are and, like, the culture that you live in. I mean, if you go to Alabama, smoking is like it, everyone does it. If you go to, like, Seattle, I'm sure nobody does it because everyone's vaping, like the hipster city that they are. Have you ever been to Alabama? Uh, I've been... I've been through some of Alabama. Okay, yes. so I've been through it. So you drove. Wait a minute. Did you drive through or did you fly over it? And you're trying to say, like, I've been to Alabama. I flew over it. No, first off, I don't believe in counting, you know, f flyover states. I've actually been in Alabama. And no offense to anyone who lives in Alabama, but I never have to go back. I'd be all right with my life. What were you doing in Alabama? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> we, should, we should probably just. Just move on. But either way. Oh, were you were you doing something illegal or were you visiting a lady friend that you don't want to tell your wife about? <laughs> I was with a group of people, I can <laughs> tell you that, and we were visiting uh, we were visiting others. But to save my marriage, I probably shouldn't go too much into it. I can tell you that it was just supposed to be a quick stop because we were actually going to Tennessee 
and we got off I-75 like in Georgia and went directly west towards Alabama and ended up staying in Alabama a little bit longer than we thought we were. So when you had a quick stop in Alabama, did you make a quick stop of another kind? <laughs> uh, that's, that's, it was a good trip, I can tell you that, but I don't wow. ever have to go that's back. That's actually worse than just answering the question. Yeah, that was the worst possible statement you could make. I feel like a, <laughs> was, feel like a politician right now trying to skate around it. I don't do drugs. I do cocaine. Like, what? <laughs> yeah. That's not a good example, sir. Uh, that speaking, makes no goddamn sense, sir. Uh, speaking of cocaine, my number four is cocaine. I would actually make an argument that cocaine is more socially acceptable than smoking. See, I... I don't know, man, because I, I don't think cocaine – I don't think cocaine is the kind of drug that you're just like, you know, well, that's – I was going to say it's the kind of drug where it's at a party and someone's like, hey, you want some coke? But sure, we've all been in that situation. Um, I don't think it's the kind of drug that like you, you're at work and someone's like, hey, you want to step outside and do a bump real fast? No, but I mean if somebody tells me like I was out, I was having a good time, did some cocaine – I'm like, oh, okay, that sounds like a good night. If somebody's like, hey, I'm just going to go outside for a smoke, my reaction is, you smoke? I think cocaine is more socially acceptable than cigarettes. I I think that's absurd. Okay, what's but, your number three? Uh, so I have, this is painkillers, but like specifically like oxy. I don't think that that's socially acceptable at all. I think a lot of people do it, but I don't think that that's what people, they don't want people to know. I don't know the numbers. I'm sure I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure that's one of the most prescribed drugs in in the I don't know, maybe in the world. Like it has to be socially acceptable because everyone has done it or everyone will do it at some point. I see. I'm looking at it in terms of you're going to tell people that you're doing this drug. Are you going to tell people that you're doing cocaine? Are you going to tell people that you're on painkillers? I mean, I I think it's people more people are going to tell you straight up that they're doing painkiller taking painkillers than cocaine i don't think too many people like are are you talking about just walking up to a random group of people and saying here who here does cocaine i bet you nobody is gonna raise their hand i bet more people would admit to that than saying like i do i I do oxy maybe it's specifically oxycontin and those kind of drugs but i think that while i would agree with you that more people use painkillers i don't think that more people would necessarily admit to it I think that's a I, little bit less socially acceptable. I, I would actually think that out of my list, I could have put that as one or two. I think it's that widely socially accepted. Okay. I, I see your point. I don't agree with it. I don't think you're right, but I, I see your point. Uh, my number three is marijuana. Okay. So you had it, you know, middle of the pack. I put it just in my top five. I mean, it's... It's a big difference. Two numbers. That's how many. That's how big of a difference is. Two numbers. It's like three hundred to two seventy-five. There's a difference. It's a percentage. If you did it based on a percentage, it would be forty percent more acceptable. Holy shit! That's say, correct too. I did that I, in my head just now. I would say out of any drug, and I'm talking about like, you know, pot, coke, heroin, all those other ones. That pot is by far. The, you know, 
hey, you do pot? Oh, no big deal. Like, that's cool. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's the most socially acceptable by far. I've almost say that it's not even necessarily cool anymore. Like, it's past the point where people are even surprised if you do it, right? Like, nobody's going to be like, hey, you drink beer? That's cool. Like, it's just, yeah, dude, I've, I'm an adult. I've lived my life. Uh, speaking of which, <laughs> I'm going to go with my number two, which is alcohol. Okay. See, so funny enough, that's my number two. Ooh, I bet we have the same number one. But I, I, I could have like I, I was hesitant to put it on there. I, I did some research Boom. on it because I, I, I was worried that I was going to say alcohol and you were going to say that's not a drug, man. Like, come on, you idiot. No, alcohol is a drug. I believe it's actually a depressant. I believe it's a downer. It is a downer, uh, which is why it's such a good time, though. <laughs> <laughs> which is why it's it's it fucks you up so much because you drink all you know all the depressants and then you have like you know a shot with a bunch of energy and then a bunch of sugar and your body's like I don't know what to fucking do so I'm just gonna go to sleep. Uh, since you bring up Doctor Vinzant, Doctor Vinzant at one point had a number of patients that were coming into his clinic when Red Bull vodka was really popular with basically heart problems because you're essentially taking one drug that says slow down your heart another drug that speeds up your heart and your heart doesn't know what the fuck to do like he ran into a number of people that had like really high blood pressure or stuff like that from doing that what's your number one uh so this is i'm I'm worried you're gonna you're gonna laugh me out of the room but i i have caffeine as my number one that's my number one too no, I think that's the most like everybody. Who do you know that isn't pounding cocaine that <laughs> that isn't pounding <laughs> caffeine on a daily basis? Do you know anybody that doesn't have either pop or coffee? Ooh, I I don't think I do. No, I think it's incredibly addictive too. Like you ever gone? You go a couple hours without your caffeine fix? Ooh, you're in some shit, sure. man. That's painful. Yeah, I mean it's. And and the thing is, is it's more it's healthier for you than if you drink that artificial sugar. Okay. Like, so it's like you either have the caffeine, you know, and 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 it gets you get addicted, or you have like a diet soda that doesn't have any of it, but it has you know artificial shit in it, which is just as bad for your health, if not worse. Do you? So it's like, do you get addicted, or do you you know go with the fake stuff? Do you? Do you know how diet pop works? Because that's not how it works. Diet diet doesn't mean that it doesn't have caffeine in it. Diet just means it doesn't have sugar in it. Did you right, not know but that? The, the, but but what's what what do they replace the sugar with? Like aspartamine or yeah, which has been stevia proven to be fucking terrible for your health. Uh that is not actually true. What is that in your daily journal of conspiracy theories that you get mailed to your house? <laughs> Just because you drink and you drink like the worst diet soda ever. How dare you insult Diet Dr. Pepper to my face? Oh my god. You apologize to the colonel or whoever the fuck is with the doctor. <laughs> Out of all the diet pop flavors that you can drink and you literally choose and I I've had it like it's it's the it's the worst. What are you gonna go with, Diet Mountain if Dew I, from the guy who drank so much Mountain Dew that he had to get a fucking kidney stone? Two, baby, kind of two. <laughs> what, a, what a source of information. What's on your What's on your honorable mention? 
Uh, well, I don't really have a, a good honorable mention. Um, a lot of it is, I put like steroids, but they're not really socially acceptable. I think I they are. Some- I, I, I could see that. Okay, you give me a drug, and I'm going to give you a one or a two. Two not socially acceptable, one socially acceptable. Meth. Two, not not at all. Crack cocaine. Nope. PCP. No. Mushrooms. Yes. See, I think the same way. I, I psychedelic as shit, right? They're just it gets it just grows naturally. Yeah, I, I, until you get to like LSD, and then I'm, mm, I don't know about that. Other Synthet- synthetic pot. Yeah, I mean I, anything that's marijuana or something like that, I think is fine. Like I don't know if CBD is technically pot or how that works. I don't think anyone really does except experts. Now, the only other ones that I other ones that I would say are not socially acceptable: heroin, not at all. Like bath salts, any of that kind of like fentanyl or any of that kind of stuff. I'm trying to think of other ones that you could say are socially acceptable. Like, hmm, you're doing that. Yeah, there aren't really. Uh, there aren't really. I mean, there aren't really. There's definitely no hard drugs. I, I think we covered the base on most everything else. Yeah, I would say cocaine is probably like the hardest drug drug that's socially acceptable. I mean, if you get into like peyote and stuff like that, but how many people really even know how to get peyote or have done it? You know, like that's not. I don't feel like that's mainstream enough. I mean, listen, you, maybe you've done it. I know it's never been presented in my circle. No, I've never done it. You know what drug I'm most addicted to? Diet Dr. Pepper. The drug of love. <laughs> you do, you love nobody because you don't have a heart. That's not true. Love you like a brother. Oh, okay, that's going to go ahead and do it for this episode of Profoundly Pointless. I want to thank you guys so much for joining us. If you get a chance, like, download, subscribe, share. We really appreciate it. It really helps us out. Love getting comments from you guys. Like I've said before, and I'll say again, it really keeps the show going. Love hearing what you guys think about stupid things that John says, the intelligent things that I say, who we should have on, and topics that we should discuss. We're getting t-shirts. We're actually going to do this. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.